This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 61. And the quote of the day is from Bruce Lee, who said this about fighting, but I think that it pertains to music as well. He said, you must be shapeless and formless like water. When you pour water into a cup, it becomes the cup. When you pour water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. When you pour water into a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Water can drip and water can crash. So become like water, my friend. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I hope everybody had a nice weekend, and I hope that you had a nice Labor Day weekend if you live here in the States. Uh, we had the holiday, Labor Day holiday here. So I hope you enjoyed your, your Monday off from work if you had it, and if you had to work, uh, thank you. Thank you for, for laboring for the, uh, for the country, I should say. And this interview that I have today is great. I have Andrew Campanelli from The Revivalists, and The Revivalists are a band from New Orleans, and they're... I don't want to say they're an up and coming band because they're already pretty, they're pretty up there. I mean, they, you know, they play with Galactic and, and Government Mule and, you know, they headline a lot of venues on their own as well. Um, But these cats, I think in a few years are going to be like really, really huge. And, and it was great to to talk to Andrew because I'm a, I'm a fan of the band. Uh, I met their lead singer, David at a Galactic show. I was hanging out with Stanton Moore and met David and had actually never even heard of the revivalists and then listened to the revivalists, uh, a couple of records and, uh, wow, just thoroughly impressed with the band. They're great. They're an awesome band. And I'm glad to have Andrew here. So um, we're going to get into that interview in just a second. Just wanted to say um, that the reviews have been coming in on iTunes and I really do appreciate it. So if you haven't already and you get something out of this podcast, just take one second and head over to iTunes and leave me a rating or a review. Like I said, that helps with the search engine uh, with people searching for interviews and drummer interviews and stuff like that. So the more reviews and the more five-star ratings that there are, uh, the higher I end up in the search rankings. So that would be great to, uh, to pop up there at the top when people search for, excuse me, search for drum interviews. So if you could do that, I would appreciate it very much. So, and we're going to get right into this interview with Andrew Campanelli from the revivalists. Andrew, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for doing this today. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm glad that we can make it happen. Yeah, we had to uh, switch up the time a little bit, but we but we got it happening. Yeah, absolutely. So we were just talking off air. You're uh, you're heading to Denver, and so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you guys tour a lot, so what's in Denver? Denver, first of all, is a place where people really love music. They they come out, they support it. There's always great stuff going on. Um, this weekend we're playing. Friday and Saturday night at the Bluebird Theater, um, which is a great old theater in Denver. Really cool room. There's not a bad seat in the house. Great crew. Great sound. Um, And they're actually uh, fish after parties. So Fish is playing at Dick's, and Mm -hmm. we're we're playing there um, Friday and Saturday night. And And then we're off to Aspen. And then we check back across the country to Virginia, where we just were a few days ago. And... And uh, and we continue on the southeast in that fashion. Nice. And we were talking about. It. I mean, you guys tour a lot, and you said that's been the goal since you guys started to to yeah. constantly tour. 
Yeah, it's funny. You know, there's um, there's like two different schools of like musicians. There's there's guys that write songs and release records and tour when they can, and then there's like you know the band, the live band that, that makes it live and makes that a goal. And that was kind of always a goal for us, being from New Orleans and and the you know the scene down here is just so player heavy mm-hmm. and um it's that's i don't mean that in a negative way at all it's very inspiring it's one of the best places i, I mean for me it's it's the best place i could live it's right on a, any given night you can go see some of the best music in the world mm-hmm. and so it, and that's like monday you know right right and, and so it's um so you know coming from that coming from this city touring was always playing live was always a really important goal for us on top of that in new orleans the scene is like a lot of guys they they play the frenchman street scene they they do weekly gigs they don't they can you can make a living in new orleans as a musician without touring mm-hmm. now none of the people in my band are from new orleans okay. um we all met here we all live here but we're from different places up the East Coast in Ohio, especially back when we started. So we were able to leave and go on the road and stay with our families. And we had networks of people all over the country. Right. So um, it allowed so it allowed us to, you know, instead of playing every night in a band like us, we we're trying to get people to come out. And it's not. It's not an every night thing. We want to make mm-hmm. the show a special event. And so it allowed us to play three, four times a week without without asking all our fans to come out in New Orleans three or four times a week. Right, right, so right. it allowed us to really, I mean, it was a method to make money and it was it was really a method to just get better, to give to to kind of spread around, make allow us to play more. And and not be like taxing the same people, asking them to come out every time. Sure, sure. Now you were just doing like short runs around the New Orleans area well, and coming back, or it's it's funny because we started out our first show ever out of town was in um, Hamilton, Ohio, where our mm-hmm. singer is from, and so we played there, and then we would play like New York, Philly, D.C., where uh, Connecticut, where like the rest of the band guys in the band are from, right, and so put together these tours of like the Northeast and kind of like the Midwest where we knew people and we could stay for free. And then after that, we started playing like Baton Rouge and Hattiesburg and Lafayette and Pensacola, Mm -hmm. that weekend type thing. And then after doing that for a while, we just kind of expanded it and, and, and we hit the West coast and, um, now we, we just kind of go wherever we can. Nice. So now you had mentioned that none of you guys are from New Orleans, but you all live in New Orleans. And so how did the whole how did the whole band come together? So you, it's been going on for what seven years? You guys started in 07, right? Yes, yeah, so seven years. Yeah, seven years. Um, and so we all met in New Orleans. We all were living in New Orleans when the band formed. Um, we most of us went to either Tulane or Loyola, mm-hmm. um, and so we were just down here for college. And we I met our guitar player Zach. Um, at the club Tipitinas, mm-hmm. and we kind of started jamming, and then and then a few months later, um, Zach called me up and was like, "Hey, I met this singer. 
let's do it. <laughs> and, nice. and so, and so since then, um, Dave, Zach and I have been playing together since like September, 2007. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the first year, we had a few we had a few different um, bass players and a different keyboard player, and then about a year in, we got we got George, who was a friend from college, and and then everybody else from there um, was just people we knew and we were friends with that we we liked how they played. So it, there was no conscious decision to be like, let's add a sax player. Like, oh, we should get a pedal steel player. It was just right. like, I like hanging out with this guy, and he's pretty good. We, we should have him come sit in. Right. And then it was like, you should just stay on stage for the rest of the set. <laughs> right. and, and then it was like, well, you, should really, you should really come to practice. Right. right. <laughs> so, you, should, yeah. you might want to learn some more of these tunes. Yeah, right. it was like, you should really like learn the chords if you're going to be playing them. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because as we were talking about before off air that I've done, you know, 60 of these interviews. I've been in the music industry since I was 15. I'm 33 now. And... 99.9% of the time, uh, how bands come together or how people get big gigs or, you know, whether they're small gigs or small gigs or big gigs are just like you said, it's like, well, I like this guy and, and he yeah. plays. So, you know, it's not like, I think a lot of people think that they're, you know, when a band's looking for a new drummer or a new guitar player or something like that, they're like, let's go find the, the baddest cat we can find and, and sign him up. It's kind of like, let's find the coolest guy that we can find yeah. that plays really well too, you know? So that's, that's the thing is like, you could, I feel like you could make that, let's get the baddest cat we could find. That kind of thing works when you're just doing like, you're just trying to make like records and sure. it, I mean, it, it, you know, that's like the, the studio guy or like you get him for a tour. But if you're going to be like invested in a band with other people, you it's going to fall apart if you don't get along. Right. And and it it's really like it's a relationship. Uh, it is. You man. know, you have six girlfriends at the same time. Dude, I it's always like, say that. That's exactly, yeah. I swear to God, I mean, I had a band for years and we, you know, we toured all over the country, much like you guys do. And, uh, uh-huh. and I always told people, it's like, it's great, but I feel like I have five girlfriends, you know? Yeah. Oh, completely. <laughs> you know, you're spending all that time together. It really, and like people can get better, but if you don't like them, it's just not going to be fun to be around. Right. Them. You're like, you're probably not going to be cooler in three months. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. So yeah, that's just that's just kind of how the whole band came together. It was just like we were just buds that knew, that just like liked playing together. And um, one of the other things was like right after Katrina. So we moved here. A lot of us, our first day of school, um, I guess three of us, our first day of college was when Hurricane Katrina hit. Oh wow! And so, so we were we were really in like the first wave of bands that started right after Katrina, and there was this kind of like. There's this energy that comes from devastation that is really unique, and um, it it really it there, it was such a creative. It still is such a creative time in New Orleans, but in these last um, whatever it's seven or eight years that it's been, yeah, actually nine years, like tomorrow. Uh, that, oh wow, that it's yeah. Been, um, the the scene has really has really grown, um, and and. And there were all these bands, this kind of indie rock scene of kids, like college kids, and there were tons of them. And we didn't, they all played in each other's bands, and we didn't really know, like, know anybody else. We weren't right. from New Orleans, so we just played together. 
Um, and, and that's another thing that allowed us to tour where a lot of bands from New Orleans don't because you're balancing either being in school or having a job with um, all these being in four bands. And so it's if one person in your band has another gig that night, you can't pull. So the, the dedication to the single thing um, that just kind of happened because not, no, nobody in our band was playing freshman street gigs. Nobody was doing, nobody had other like musical obligations. So it allowed us to just tour. And then eventually as, you know, as things happen with all these other bands with different musicians, they, they, they find what they're going to focus on and some of the bands fall apart. So we, we were, we were insulated from that in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. Just because we were just always doing the one thing. Now, is that the what the revivalist means? Is that the is that you guys sort of coming out of the devastation of Katrina and trying to revive the the music scene in New Orleans? You know, it definitely it definitely was related to that. I don't think we would have ever said something so grand that we were trying to revive the music scene in New Orleans because we were totally unqualified to right. do it. <laughs> um, but. But it was actually, um, it was, you know, it was right around that time. There was a lot of that going on. And we, differently from a lot of bands in New Orleans, we weren't playing like funk music or like New Orleans kind of rock music or anything that like that. We were pulling from other things um, mm -hmm. like, you know, that we grew up with. And that's that's less drawn upon in like the New Orleans scene. Like I, I think I feel like stuff like the Almond Brothers and, and um you know like Government Mule who we you know we've now forged a relationship with and, and just all kinds of songwriting and, and songwriters and from all over the place. Um that's what we were drawing on, kind of older styles of music. Mm -hmm. But really it was it what the name came from, which is it's funny that I guess I guess it's fitting that we went on to kind of tour as much and play live as much as we do um, is the name came from a 60 minutes piece on Bruce Springsteen that our guitar player saw where they just, they said he played with a revivalist fervor. That's how he, they mm. described his energy on stage. And so uh, Zach, our guitar player, just without talking to anybody made our band name, the revivalists. And we were like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> That's it's a great name because I mean, <laughs> it's, it's fitting for, like you said, of when the band came together out of this, you know, out of the devastation of Katrina and, you know, revitalizing this music scene and you guys are touring all the time and, you know, there's this cultural movement and it has some sort of, a, you know, a bit of a religious connotation to it, which New Orleans has yeah. a religious connotation. The whole it area does, does you know. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. It's funny when people think – we used to joke that if we ever get pulled over, we'll just tell them we're a church group called the Revivalists. But, go. And it'll um, go over. I mean, they'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, but the name, especially because we're touring in like a 15-passenger van. Right. <laughs> um, so just make the, the T in Revivalists a cross, and it would be and paint it on the side of the van. Yeah, yeah. It'd be good. Yeah, perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> we, were, we we were very conscious not to not to go with the uh, with the religious imagery because it's not it's not necessarily meant to be. That, but it is interesting that you bring that up. That New Orleans is a very religious place. It's mm -hmm. it's like built from like, you know, a lot of different traditions. Um, and for Catholic. the people, not to interrupt you, but for the people that yeah. are listening that have never been to New Orleans, that all the sections of the town are divided into parishes rather than into counties. 
and rather and into even the yeah. neighborhoods, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's you know there's churches everywhere. There's a lot. I mean, the church, the involvement of the the church in. Did I break? Am I breaking up again? No, you're good. Okay. Um, the the involvement of the church in the music scene and 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 the development of music is is you know undeniable. But sure. it's like it's also you know, completely not a religious place if you don't want right, it to be. Right. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, um, it's, it's funny. So it's, it's funny that the name has those two things too. Cause there's, you know, I think there is a, a slightly not religious aspect to our band, but what we're, what we're doing, we believe in and it comes from us in, in a, in a kind of like a, in a spiritual way we don't sure. try and do we don't try and force anything we just try and make the songs happen as as we feel like they're meant to you sure. know that makes that makes total sense and you were you mentioned that you know new orleans you, you can it can be very religious or non-religious but even the non-religious stuff stems from mardi gras which is fat tuesday which is you know it, it started well, that, as a Christian. i would say that I would say even is religious, you know, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, you can't get away from it. Right. It, it, right. It's, it's, it's part of the context of the city. Mm -hmm. So whether you are really, are, in, you know, involved personally in it at all, it's like, it's affecting you. You get days off, you get, right, you know, like right. that are related to religious things, but. And you can just, you can just feel it when you're in the town, man. Like anytime you're there, there's just this sense of like. And I don't know if it's necessarily the religious aspect of it or if that – and I think it definitely plays a part of it. There's always – there's just like this sense of community when you're there. And completely, it kind of feels like everybody's just like on the same page if that makes especially, any sense. Especially – yeah, yeah. Uh, especially – I think it's because it's the kind of place where you can be whatever you want and right. there will be people that are okay with it. Mm -hmm. It's just – it's – it's it's a really great place to be creative. It's right. it's there's a lot of there's a lot of love, there's a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. Um there's a lot of just like it's 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 the community aspect especially after New after Katrina it has been um amazing. Mm -hmm. It's 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 just great to see how much people love this city and and that's, you know, they love being here and so that that just affects all your interactions. Now, speaking of being able to be whatever you want or do whatever you want, since none of you guys are from New Orleans, have you gotten any flack from New Orleans when you guys first started out from the town, from the musicians, or were you guys just openly accepted? Well, okay, so I wouldn't say we got flack, but it's, it, you know, it's the music business. It, it right. helps to know people, mm -hmm. and, and we didn't know anybody. And there's like, there's a lot of, a lot of musicians that grew up here and have, you know, long standing roots here and have been musicians for a while, you know, they know the people at Jazz Fest, they know the people, in, you know, and, and we didn't know any of that. So that was another reason why we just kind of, we were like, all right, we can't get that gig. So let's go do this gig. And we would, that was another reason why we toured, but, um, pretty about a year, about two years in, I think, um, we started to be managed by, um, this guy Stu, who who runs a club in town called the Howlin' Wolf, and mm -hmm. he they also managed Rebirth. So Rebirth took us. The Rebirth Brass Band took us out. 
we probably did more shows with Rebirth than we will ever do with any other band. They were like the first band that really took us out and 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 accepted us, and they were they were great to us. Um, nice. Yeah, I just saw so, them actually in, in New York. Yeah, they're they're just awesome. They and awesome guys, and and they. Um, and so they really taught us a lot. They've been doing it for 30 years. So yeah. like, or, so, this, so you know, they taught us a lot about touring, being on the road. And, you know, playing with them gave us some New Orleans credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, um, Ben Elman w- had, was producing um, from Galactic. He, they came out with Yakame, which was um, produced by Ben. And then Ben produced Trombone Shorty's record. And we really liked the things that he was doing with that. Um, and so we enlisted him to kind of help us record an EP and then we tricked him into helping us record a whole record. Um, (laughs) and surprise. uh, Yeah. Right. It was, it was, it was, um, it was funny. He came to a rehearsal like the week before the session and we were going to go in and do three songs and, uh, we just decided to do 10. So we went in and we tracked him and a lot of that stuff was kind of like put together in the studio. And then he was still only going to produce three of them and we were going to get, you know, the rest of them done by somebody else. And at the end of the session, he was like, I kind of just want to do the whole thing. Nice. Um, so and then and then so that was the first time that they that any that the Galactic guys really got involved and 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 saw like what we were about. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what caused um, that's what started Dave writing for Galactic and then going on tour with the Galactic after Corey and and the, and and also get, got us a few opening dates with Galactic. Right. And since then, they, they've just been like, you know, they've they've been also great to us. They're kind of like our older brother band. They, right, they, right. They've, they've been doing it longer and, and they, they always give us advice. And we just, we just got out of the studio in February. We, we with Ben, um, we're working on another record. Um, and we use Ben again. He, it's just, it's great. And, and playing with Galactic as the kind of band we are touring with Galactic and, and having Ben produce the record and be involved. We just, um, it was instead of people, being instead of us not really being a New Orleans band, people kind of all around the country would would talk about us in terms of like, oh, this New Orleans band, the Revivalists, right. and 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 more importantly, people at home started talking about us that way because they kind of knew who we were now, mm. <laughs> right? So now you would mention, you know, we've been talking about how you guys weren't from New Orleans, so. Was it intimidating moving into this town and knowing all these great drummers were there? And how did you combat that and say, okay, I really, you know, I need to get onto this, onto this scene a little bit. I mean, I'm sure that you were like hanging out at tips and the leaf and all that stuff, but like, how did you? Well, it's funny when I moved to new Orleans, like I kind of had no delusions of ever really being a musician. I was studying music business. And, and so at, at that time, right after Katrina, they restarted this Tipitina's, um, these Tipitina's workshops where guys like Johnny Vodakovich and Stanton Moore and, you know, all, all kinds of great drummers. But, and then like George Porter and Luther Dickinson came, they would get anybody, they would come on Sundays and teach these workshops. Um, and so that's where I met our guitar player, Zach, but I also, that's where I got to meet Stanton. And I really just, after watching, galactic and like getting to know stanton it it kind of like helped me solidify it helped me get into this not into the scene playing wise but into the music and understand it in a way that helped my playing and then 
I also got to know Johnny Vodakovich at that time. Um, and, you know, anybody who's spent five minutes talking to Johnny about drums is a better drummer. Right. And, and I, I just, I was really, he really like helped turn me on to some things that just opened up uh, the, the whole world. And, and then I had, you know, 150 shows a year Mm -hmm. to, to, to work it out. And, and then also there was like a few years there where when we were off the road, we would be in the, in the, rehearsal space from 11 to four every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so just listening a lot and like, you know, being at however many rebirth shows I went to, plus all the ones we played with them, that it's the kind of, it's the reason that new Orleans has this feel that like, that like you can't really explain. It's like the in between you, it's not, it's in, it's, it, it's in a part of the beat that's like not exact necessarily right in between Um, the cracks kind of stuff yeah exactly and it's kind of hard to explain and it's hard to really like understand without living here but if you live here you can't not understand it because you hear it everywhere and like it's just the way it is (laughs) right yeah so so um I wasn't really, you know, trying to get into the scene playing wise, mostly because I knew I was not at that level. Um, and and then, I, you know, after meeting these guys, it was just we just started playing together. I didn't really think about it. And then, um, you know, it progressed from there. Nice. Nice. It's amazing that, you know, how things like you were talking about how things happening naturally and, and, you know, sort of coming from the spiritual sort of thing and not forcing anything. So you're, you definitely didn't force the, uh, the playing, you know, you, you definitely didn't force trying to get into the scene. Yeah, no, definitely. But I mean, in terms of forcing the playing, that's, that's some, some stuff that I really got from Johnny, um, and Stanton. But I, and I remember this, just this one conversation I had with Johnny that was, um, it really, it really hit home like you how how to like play basically <laughs> so how how to like make the groove be an expression of you um and not be trying to do things you necessarily saw somebody else do um and just he basically, so I was at his house. I can just tell you what he said. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was at his house and he was um, explaining there were kind of two facets of it. One was, uh, one is when you hit a drum, right? It, it, it compresses the air and then bounces back. And, it, and so the air moves out in a wave and that wave hits your eardrum and it's interpreted as sound. Um, but the, it's these, all these air molecules moving through the room and they hit your body, they hit everybody in the room and it makes them move. And then they start dancing and they're moving molecules and pushing things around and it's hitting you. And so if you think of it like that, and all you're really trying to do is just like stay in the moment and make you know, the molecules move in a way that the people move to it. Um, it really frees you up to not, not try and do this like 
thing you've been practicing, but maybe haven't quite mastered to the point where you can do it innately without thinking about it. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, if you don't try to do anything and just play how you play, how you're thinking with, in terms of, you know, the music that's going on listening, like, cause that all comes from li also listening to the other musicians on stage more than worrying about what you're going to play. Sure. It's it's all it's all about just trying to fit in with them, and and that's that was just huge. That kind of like how that that description of how you draw energy from a crowd and from the other musicians and how you give it back to them just really I don't know it just really connected some things for me. Mm -hmm. um, and the other aspect of of that conversation I had with Johnny was um, at his house. He has. Uh, these two drum sets set up and you go in and, and you know, you, he makes you espresso and you talk about philosophy and, <laughs> and I like drums. it. And, I like it. And, and next to, next to the drums, there's, um, there's a, a painting. Um, I think it's a Frenchie painting. Frenchie's a, a new Orleans artist that does a lot of live music stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and lots of color and like, you know, lines and splotches and so he he told me to look at it and he and he said all right now play this painting as if it was sheet music and so i just kind of like played what i felt from looking at it and i didn't really get it and then he was like all right now try and play what it's telling you like try and look at it and really see if try and have it tell you something so there were these you know cross lines and and lines going across it and big splotches at the bottom and in the middle and kind of sprinkled paint across the top. So I made the top a hi-hat pattern and the, the bottom bass drum pattern. And I just kind of played through it. And, and he was like, I take inspiration from everything I see from the architecture of like, you know, buildings in Switzerland to, you know, the curb of the Mississippi river. It's just, it just taking in whatever is the, is going on at that moment in, in like, in in any way, mm -hmm. obviously with a with a heavy ear towards the other musicians, sure. um, and and putting that back into it, and so, you know, that's 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 really important. That's really it's it, when you feel good. That's really important in terms of touring because when you feel good, you play better. When you're in, I noticed that when we play on like a mountain in Colorado, it, we're all excited to be there, and the weather's nice, and everything's great, and and you just feel good and the shows are always better. And sure. so, you know, in terms of touring, that really gets at like one of the biggest things of touring, one of the biggest difficulties of touring is staying healthy and and being rested. And like actually it's you're putting yourself in a in a tough situation to be, you know, a to be the best musician you can be. Like Louis Armstrong in, in his uh book talks about how you can't play well if you're not rested because you just you need your ideas mm -hmm. <laughs> you need your brain to be sharp sure um so that's like i would say that that kind of that that also had so that conversation with johnny also kind of led me to kind of change some of the things that i was doing while on tour um to try and just eat healthier and be healthier make sure i sleep enough and 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 put myself in the best um, position to put on a good show. Right. You know, it's funny. I, I interviewed um, 
Michael Carvin a couple weeks ago. And I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Carvin. If if you're not, you should maybe check out this interview. It's really it's really good. It goes into a lot of the stuff um, that you mentioned with with, oh, cool. with Johnny as well. And and he said when when he has students come in, he just has them sit down and he says, "All right, I want you to play some you know what makes you feel good, right?" So then you yeah. play that, and then he's like, "Well, now I want you to play what it feels like when you walk outside and the sun hits your face." Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. And he's like, <laughs> I want, and they're like, what do you mean? What? I don't know what to play. He's like, well, I, I can't tell you what to play. Yeah. You know, and that's, and if you feel different than it makes me feel. Right, right. Like you may hate sunshine, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, I love it. You may hate <laughs> you it. Or may anything. Hate so, and, and he, you know, he started talking about all these things and I almost felt bad during the interview because I was, I wasn't really talking much because I was just so interested in what he was saying and he would get done talking and I was just like, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> because I was so into it and I was like, and I was so deep in thought. Um, but right. it was, but it was, it was cause it was so thought provoking. And I think that, that a lot of people got stuff out of that. And, and there's definitely that way of approaching playing, which for me, I think is the right way. I think that, I mean, I think that there has to be a good blend of that. Um, because yeah. you know, you have to have the technical side of things and you have to have the facility, right. but then once you get that stuff, it's a matter of, okay, what now, what can I do with this to make music out of it? Yeah. You know? So that's, that's really important too, is, is, you know, you get, so it, it frees you if, if in terms what we were talking about before about all these great new Orleans drummers being in town and me just being some kid is like. It, it really it freed me up to because we were going on tour with Dumpster Funk at the time and like I was you know watching Nikki Glaspie every night and and like you know we played a few shows with Snarky Puppy and like I'm watching Spot and Nate and and, and it's like you know I, I I'm not it doesn't make me want to try to be like that to play like that it, but it, you know you take things from it and you and it allows you to internalize the things that mean the most to you from their playing. And, and then, and then, you know, you get in the practice space and, and you practice and, and that's where you suck. That's where it's, it's fine to suck. Right. If, if you don't suck when you practice then you're probably not getting better. Right. Um, and, and it's really, um, so, and that's what I was saying before about, you know, trying, trying something you're not necessarily ready for. You practice to the point where you don't even think about it and then it'll just come out and you're playing when you're playing. Mm -hmm. And that's why if you listen to like drummers over a long period of time, you can kind of, or any musician over a long period of time, you can kind of be like, oh, this was the phase where they were doing that kind of thing. Or like, this was right. the phase where they were doing that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely saying the, the, the practice aspect of it and the shedding aspect of it and the technical side of it is, is so important. Um, and then you get out there and you on stage and you just play and then, and then it's just fun. Yeah. So now you're, you're mentioning practice. What does a normal practice routine look like for you? Uh, in the last, um, in the last few years we've toured so much that like, and then when we're home, we're like recording it in the studio. So we do a lot of like full band practice, but I do, right. um, I do a lot of just, I've been actually taking, um, tabla and vibraphone, uh, just started taking tabla and vibraphone lessons with Mike Dillon, um, awesome. to kind of improve my time and just get, get 
different things in my mind. Um, and so he gave me a book about um, tablet drumming that deals with counting. And really the, the thing that I've mostly been focusing on for the last few years is time um, and not necessarily rudiments or, or, or anything like that. I mean, here and there, I, I just, I practice um, different kinds of things of what, whatever I'm interested in what I've been listening to. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot, it's a lot with time because that's where you can play simply and have great time and it's great. And you can play really complex and have poor time and it's, and it's just, it doesn't matter. Yeah, who, wants, <laughs> who wants to listen to that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, so I've been, I've been really working on time. That's why I started taking with, um, talking to Mike about tablas and, and, and he suggested vibraphones because, um, you know, the, the, the touch aspect of playing a, a instrument where you're trying to get a note out of it. And a lot of people kind of just bash on the drums. And uh, the, that was another thing that Johnny was talking about when you, when you hit the drum, trying to draw the sound out of it. And, and that kind of, um, you know, affects your your stroke if you're not just trying to bash down through it and and you know blast the sound out the other side. If you're trying to draw the sound out of it, it allows you to play with a little more finesse and a little more um, kind of like accent and a little more feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny that you say that because every time I teach a clinic, I go over this whole thing about how drums one they're not you know they're not a melodic instrument but they don't have sustained notes so they don't really have long and short notes like a vibraphone does or, right. or a piano or a guitar or something like that so everybody hears not everybody but a lot of the mistakes that i hear people doing when they're playing is that they hear things in short spurts of energy so everything is like a block on a page mm -hmm. you know and they don't hear quarter notes and eighth notes and 16th notes so on a just on a very elementary level uh, short notes and long notes. And once right. you get into and I'm sure that you've had this realization at some point, once you start to hear the long notes and the short notes, it's like, Oh my God, well, this is like a whole new world now. Yeah. And then, you know? and then you also get to like, then when you, when you start to hear them and then you start to, you know, kind of when I, when I play, you know, that you're, you're is yet again, another Johnny thing. When you play, um, you know, you're kind of following your mouth in terms of like, you know, the, cause when you, when you sing a beat, like, you know, you're putting in all these in between accents that like, you don't think like hard, soft, harder, harder when you're playing with your hand. But if you just follow your mouth, your body does it. And so when you, when you start to hear the long notes and then you start to see the way, you know, Stanton does this a lot where he, he'll be like, you know, I mean, a lot of drummers do it a lot, but it's, it's you, where you kind of lightly, you're lightly bouncing the bass drum off it to get this like, boo, and then you can really accent stop on it and get like the punch. Right. Um, and you can actually make the notes longer and shorter. It like just by hearing it, you know, mm -hmm. just, just mm -hmm. by hearing the possibility of it, it kind of allows your body to make that happen. So now I always like to hear other people's uh, ways of practicing this and learning this kind of stuff because everybody has a different approach to it. And it's sort of an intangible thing. It's not like I want to play – how do you learn how to play 
paradiddles at 200 beats a minute. It's like, well, you just practice with a metronome until you get there. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but the feel thing and really hearing like we're talking about the long notes and the short notes and sustain and, and the interweaving of accents and stuff like that going through the groove. Um, so what's your approach on that and how did you, how did you start to, to practice that and work that into your playing? Um, to, to be honest, it, I think it, it came a lot from what I was saying before, just from living in New Orleans. I really, I really, um, it's more, it's less of like a technical practicing thing and more of just a way of thinking. That's, it really just, it just kind of, the more we played and the more we did it, the, the more I was like, oh, I can do that now. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can do that now. And it was like, it would be, you know, it's, just just through playing a lot repetition you know it's 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 to get that feel i think it's hard you can do it in a room by yourself for mm-hmm. sure you mm-hmm. and i mean playing along with records that's how i that's how i learned to play you know originally was just playing along this stuff um and and really focusing on I think focusing on the way that you would that you would sing it if you were trying to like beatbox it, and so the notes that you don't like, you know, you hit some hi hat notes in your beatbox, and those are the stronger accents, you know, mm-hmm. and then you stop saying the hi hat notes so you can make the snare sound and the bass drum sound, and like, so, you know, it's it's those little things that when you start to if you listen to something, you listen to um, when the levee breaks, you know, mm-hmm. there's that accent pattern on the hi-hat that you wouldn't notice if you necessarily saw it written out on paper. But if you just listen to that loop, it's right there. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's just there. And and so, you know, touring a lot is as for any band is the best thing you can do and for any single musician in the band it's it's just as it's it's where you get your feel because the more different situations you put yourself in the more you're like oh all right oh okay and then you can kind of replicate that when you figure out like how you did that that night you know what i mean right totally agree totally agree so i always like to get the advice of the drummers on here. And so what is your advice for people that are, that are trying to do this? They want to be touring, you know, a hundred days a year, 150 days a year, 200 days a year. They want to be in a band. They're in a new town. They want to connect with people. What's your advice for people? Uh, go out and, I mean, from, from the beginning of moving to that town, um, go out and see music. It's, it's where all the musicians are (laughs) and it's, and it will, and it will inform you about like the scene and what's going on. It'll, each city, every place has a little different flavor and, and you can get something from everyone. And, and so, you know, go see music if, you know, start talking to people and then, and then just like the people that you seem to see at the shows that you like going to, they're probably into the same kind of music as you are. So talk to them. (laughs) And, and, you know, that's how you get a, a band of people that you like. And then from there, um, you know, it's it's interesting because I never tried to do it in another city at another time. It was it was New Orleans right after Katrina. There were clubs everywhere. You could book shows. You could put on house shows if you if you can't book a show. You know, bring your friends out and play at a house party. 
and and just keep doing it. Play when we first started touring, like we weren't playing venues all the time. We we had our own PA and we would just set up at a bar. We'd convince a bar, like, hey, we can probably bring like fifty people to your bar on like a Wednesday night or something. And they would just like let us play and some let us I don't really even remember how we got paid on those <laughs> but but we did I think and uh and and just do you know you make yourself you make you just if you want to do it just don't let anything stop you don't don't be if you can't book a gig play at your house throw a party you know mm-hmm. um the other thing about New Orleans that that makes it possible is you know if you're living in New York or 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 LA or San Francisco or something like you're not, you're not making rent and then, and then have, you know, and, and then have tons of time to do it all the time. And in New Orleans around that time. And I mean, even still kind of traditionally, it's, it's, a you can get by on less money than, than you need in other places. So you can work at a job that where you can, you can, you know, work at a job that allows you to pay your bills and then have a lot of free time to work on your craft. And and um, we were all fortunate enough to, when we were making that transition, have jobs with, with people that were supportive of what we were doing so much so that they would let us leave and come back and have, and like keep working. And so that, I mean, we were we were really fortunate. It's it's there are jobs that, and I'm sure every city that like are flexible like that. It's sure. just you know making ends meet, be willing to be poor for a while. It's 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 not that bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to, everybody goes through that. Whether you're building a business or building a, a career in music or you know what, which is a business as well. But yeah, yeah, it's you know, the same thing. Yeah. Whether you're starting, you know a a accounting business or, or a t-shirt you know, company. Right. Right. It doesn't matter. Um, so you got to put in the, you got to put in the time and be willing to work with less until, until you get there. So yeah, exactly. That, that's what it comes down to is, is you just have to, you just have to do it a lot. You have to put in the time and, and you have to structure your life, um, to allow you to put in the time. Per, well said. I Thank like you. that. Yeah. <laughs> And you would mentioned going to see live music, and I strongly encourage everybody out there listening to go check out the Revivalists. They're all over the place. They're in Denver. I mean, they're in they're in Georgia. They're in Illinois, Canada, North Carolina, Florida, Alabama, New Orleans, obviously, Syracuse, New Haven, Burlington, Philly, New York. <laughs> like, go check them out. Go to uh, therevivalist.com and purchase your tickets on there or check them out when they're in your town. It'll definitely be worth your while. They're an amazing band and you can check out Andrew's drumming skills as well. And Andrew, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me today, man. I really do appreciate it, man. It was, it was a ton of fun and I love, I love talking drums and I love, uh, you know, when, when musicians are willing to come on and, and just, and just chat about whatever comes up. So I definitely, I definitely appreciate that. I'll probably spend the rest of the day just talking about it still with other people. I like it. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> That's cool, man. But thank you again. I really do appreciate it. And I know the listeners do as well. So it was great having you. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate A- it. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. See you. 
So there you have it, Andrew Campanelli from The Revivalists, and check them out at therevivalists.com. They're an awesome, awesome band. I wasn't just saying that. I mean, they really are a really good band. Check them out. Go see them live. They're all over the place, like I mentioned, and you can go to therevivalists.com for tickets and touring information. And check me out online at facebook.com forward slash drummers resource or on Twitter at drummers R source on Instagram at drummers resource. And of course, drummersresource.com where you can find all the articles and the podcasts. And if you haven't already subscribed for the podcast on iTunes, that way you'll automatically get these podcasts downloaded, excuse me, to your phone, your iPad or whatever other device that you have. And if you would leave me a rating and review on iTunes, I would really, really appreciate it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.